Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Fullest Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Bostwick, and today's guest is Dr. Sherry Sammy, who's a dual specialized pediatric dentist and orthodontist. She has a bachelor in, and a master in psychology, and she's the co founder of Beehive of Healing. Hi, Dr. Sammy. Hello, everybody. Hi, Nikki. It's such a great pleasure to be with you and uh, to do this talk. Finally, I'm very excited. I'm really excited, too, because I've worked with your husband for so long, and I only heard just the most wonderful things about you. And then once I had my son, Truth, I had the privilege of coming to you and working with you. And that was such an incredible experience especially given his, um, you know, his genetic condition that we discussed and, and your, you know, just being in a room with you and your counseling with Eric and I was so beautiful. And it really came back to trusting and not having this sense of fear, especially about our experience of like what happened early on when we found out and, and just your recommendations to us and how everything played out. It was just so beautiful. And it's funny because I feel like a lot of times there's a, a quote that says, you know, behind every strong man is an even stronger woman. And I felt like in that instance, I was like, wow, this woman is so soft and so knowledgeable and just like everything that I, I love about people and human beings. So it's just such a privilege to have you on and share you and your knowledge with our audience. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm humbled by all of that and grateful for for receiving and experiencing me in that position. That is my intention at all times, you know, to be of service to my to my families and beyond. And uh and it's uh it's a great feeling when when it that it has a beautiful landing in that capacity. So thank you. Thank you. And yeah, so I kind of wanted to start with a little bit of a background. Like I mentioned in um, in the beginning, just a second ago, you have a really varied background and it's not just in dentistry and orthodontics. It's you have this holistic perspective that is still so different than what someone would call another holistic dentist. Like I think that's definitely um, trending right now to go visit and see a holistic dentist, but I've been to several and none of them are like you and you have a totally different perspective. And so I think it's important to discuss and kind of unwind and think about how you got to where you are today. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to kind of hear and learn about your journey and if it came to you intuitively the way you view things. And that's why you um, navigated your journey towards psychology and all those things, or it just happened to come together. Uh, a little bit of both. Um, I uh, grew up with a mom who was a psychologist and also, you know, she was doing Louise Hayes mirror work in our, in our, you know, leading a group of people when I was 11 years old, I distinctly remember. So um, I had a lot of exposure to psychology when I went to college. Um, 
you know, I, although I was, um, majoring in biochemistry, I just took so many psychology classes just because that was kind of like my break from the brainy world or whatever you want to call it. Like just, uh, so yoga and, and psychology became psychology classes became like my, my fun classes to take. And I took so many that, uh, that they ended up like giving me a psychology, um, oh, you know, wow. <laughs> So that was, it was the interest and the curiosity. Um, but I think that the most important aspect of uh, my journey has been to stay humble and curious because I think a lot of people, like once they go to any kind of, whether it's a, it's a higher education or they become a doctor, they lose that curiosity and they just continuously fall back into what they learned in school and, and the limitation of what they learned in school. You know, I distinctly remember that one of my professor at Columbia University, the first year, he kind of brought this gigantic book and he says, you are going to learn more than 10,000 vocabulary in one year. And you need to be able to uh, memorize everything from the first page to the last. And knowing that in 10 years, this is going to be completely obsolete. And what we're going to know about health is going to be very different than what this book is representing. And I don't know too many medical schools that they actually talk about that. But I was really grateful that, that we did. And then also another professor he said, you know, don't become tooth carpenters. You know, it doesn't take a genius to make a hole in the tooth and, and go fill it. You know, you need to be able to see the cranium, you know, the head and the neck without even like taking an x-ray. So start like looking beyond the, the tissue, beyond like, and just remain curious. And I started like looking at all of these things and got further training in osteopathy, food as medicine, um, anthroposophical medicine, um, just so many different homeopathy, just as much as I could get my hands on um, and learn. It was, uh, it, I just kind of went through it. Um, and then they all kind of came together in a in a beautiful way, because the more that I learn, and I'm still learning, you know, I feel like there's so much more that I that I don't know. But the more that you learn, the more question it it comes forward for you, and and it almost like that image of the elephant that um, they say, oh, you know, of the twelve blind men that um, that each person is like touching one part of the elephant and describing the entire elephant as how they're touching it. I think that's how medicine has become. The medicine has become in a way that we only look at our own specialty and we don't consider the whole person. Yeah. And we don't consider the person at all from the, like, you know, most of the time in the traditional medicine or dentistry, we only look at physical. We're even scared of looking at emotional and mental and forget about spiritual. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's, uh, it, I feel that it allows me to have such a beautiful and profound experience where I can see the person, um, the child, not just as a physical being, but also an emotional and mental and a spiritual being 
within the context of the matrix of the family. Because, for example, for your precious son, it, all the stuff that you have gone through, all the emotional baggage that you bring forward, all the family drama and trauma and intergenerational things that you and your your generation, as well as your beloved, bring through, it all makes a diff- it, it all makes an impact on that child. And we've never spoken about those things unless you're a psychologist. We've never spoken about those things as a um, as a physician, as a dentist, you know, as a doctor, it's like, okay, who, who are you in, in a bigger, you know, matrix of things, much like, you know, your body is three fourths microbiome of viruses and bacterias and all of these amazing things that they collaborate. And only one third of you is, or one fourth of you is actually cells. So, how is all of this thing works together is the dynamic of creating a healthy person. And much like that, it's, it's the same as the mind, body, spirit, or um, however you want to describe it, you know, in those, in all those levels. So that's, that's how it came about. It was just that curiosity and, and then continuous learning and, and remaining humble, you know, because the more you learn, the more you understand that you don't know anything. So, Um, And you want to learn more. Yeah. And I love that. And I love the way that you brought it all in. And it does sound so intuitive, but also informed and science backed. And I'm curious, like, once you started learning about all those different healing modalities, and like you said, homeopathy, food is medicine, and, and the way ancestral trauma and healing and all that like plays a role. Did you find that there were very many studies on things like we had talked about earlier, like the neurobiology or the microbiology of the mouth and how it's all connected? Or did you find that it was really only within your own practice that you could really hone those ideas and like evaluate just your own patients and where they came from? I mean, I'm sure it's a combination of both, but it just feels so rare to find that information. Yes, absolutely. So it, it was both. It was, um, the parts that I would kind of put together in terms of the, what the research had been done and and what was what was in the past discussed through books or even like rare books, you know, for example, like just giving you a tiny example, about 16 or so years ago, I found this tiny 60-page book that was like completely out of print, all about xylitol. Right. And all about like the benefits of xylitol in the nose and in the back of the throat and the anti strep and the coating and the moisturizing, all of that stuff. At that time, at least, like it was never really discussed anything about xylitol, at least in medical and dental school. And there was never any, any evidence that they were talking about these things. So I looked at this and I started with myself and my kids, you know, and, uh, you know, just kind of like spraying xylitol. We made like a little xylitol, like with a, with a, um, small, like, you know, bottle and add some xylitol sugar to it and, and like spraying it into the nose and the back of the throat. And, uh, and one, I remember specifically with Hafez, so he went, he was going to a really tiny school with like 144 kids. And out of this 144 kids, I think 130 of them, they got strep throat. 
And Hafez was one of the ones that you just like never missed school and never got a strep throat. So the principal like was sitting with me and he's like, do you do anything that it's like, it's really interesting because he hasn't even missed any day of school. So, and then they all share all of these things. And so it's, is it, is it possible? Is it something that you're doing at home that it's preventing him from getting, is there any dietary stuff or any supplements? And I kind of noticed like, oh, this is exactly as it actually talks about the anti-strep properties of xylitol in that little book. So then I started you know, doing it with my patients and putting them on nose rinses, you know, because you see the quality of cleaning out the nose and cleaning out the back of the throat. And I think it was about three and a half, four years ago, I went to actually to a lecture at UCLA just to support my friend who was giving, you know, her first lecture there. And like the the speaker before that gave a, a whole talk about gut gut microbiome and xylitol and the whole aspects of prevention of what's called the panda, you know, which is kind of like a strep based autoimmune disease in children that they have seen. It was so fascinating, you know. So there is that aspects of intuition, reading, and then coming back and first like applying it to myself and my two kids you know wow. our family and then after that kind of like going and and uh, experiencing with with the patients and also like kind of pushing the envelopes you know it's um for example there was uh, not not in a way that it's out of practice for me you know out of scope of my practice but for example like I'll give you an example and I think I've given that example before as well but one of my osteopathic friends came and told me, I think it, was, it must have been like nine years ago, you know, or 10 years ago, says, you know, can you, Sherry, can you please do this woman's tongue tie for me? And I said, I only see children. I don't really do, you know, tongue tie releases and lip tie releases on adults. Um, just, you know, send them to someone else. Because no, 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 I specifically want you because you also have an osteopathic feeling when you do your tongue tie releases. We'll do the myofunctional and I'll send them to you. Please do this as a favor to me. I said, okay. So I, you know, received the woman and did her tongue tie release and it was very successful. And But she called me in three months and says it worked. I said, what work? Yeah, the tongue tie was very successful. She has more range of motion, swallowing change, neck, you know, the feelings in her neck and the tiredness and all of the neck pain went away. She goes, no, no, no. It. She was, uh, she had a tilted uterus and I kept correcting it. And when you released her tongue tie, I was able to actually, and she had six miscarriages. And when, when you released the tongue tie, it kind of, it actually stabilized her, her uterus after I would treat her. And I'm thinking like, what does tongue tie have anything to do with a tilted uterus, you know? And then, so I started studying fascia and I started looking at all the fascia and how it's connected and how it goes like from your tongue actually goes, I have this amazing video that they did this dissection and how the fascia, which is the part that in medical school, we just kind of like get through and we just cut it so we can get to the organs. Wow. You know, we never have an appreciation for it. And it goes all the way to your toes, you know? So 
I started like, oh, okay, then like there is a light bulb, you know. So then I had another mom that, um, you know, we had done the tongue tie and lip tie releases, but this one and a half year old kept like pushing forward his jaw and to the point that it would have become like a misalignment of his jaw. And I'm looking at the mom and the mom is really retruded. You know, she needed a, a upper lip tie badly. And I said, well, you know, there's a concept of mirror neurons and how our children, they want to imitate how, what they see, especially as a mother. Would you be open to do your upper lip release? And she, for your son, you know, you need it, but do you want to do it for your son? You know, and she's like, yeah, I'm totally open to that. Then. So we did the upper lip release and it was really interesting. So she started walking out and she's like, there's something going on with my hip. I can't really walk. And then she gets, she gets down and takes off her shoes and takes like this one inch thing that she had in one of her shoes and start walking. And she's like, oh my God, I had like an inch of difference between my hips. So I had to wear this ledge in my shoes and now it's like completely corrected. Wow. And then within two and a half days, the, the boy stopped completely doing like this forward movement of his jaw, you know, so it, it completely got corrected, which was so fascinating to me. You know, again, I just kind of remain humble for these for these patients to be my students, I mean, to be my teachers and I be the student, but it's not, it's kind of like being open and with a listening that it requires in order to see it, in order to accept it and not just like, you know, yeah, that was, that's just hokey pokey or that's just doesn't make sense. You know, it's like, yeah, it doesn't make sense to me, but let me study more. Let me learn more. Let me, you know, um, let me find out a little bit more about it and just remain curious enough to be able to to see if there is anything else. So I think it, it's very, very important to also have, you know, I feel really blessed that I have been working, um, having my own practice for the past 15, 16 years because it allowed all of those little ones and their parents, they became my teachers and the whole aspects of it, not in a way that would compromise them in any ways, but the whole aspect of remaining like, oh, yeah, that kid has a lot of sensory integration issues. And how is that related with the mouth? You know, so let me go and study sensory integration and development and, you know, proprioceptions with a developmental pediatrician so I can have a little bit better understanding and a better eye when I'm looking at a child and then see if there's anything that we can change in here that changes their feelings in their extremities and their experience of their whole noise, hair, you know, haircut, you know, all those sensitivities that sometimes comes with sensory integration. So so those are those are the ways that it kind of universe just lined everything up for me. But God, it all is so amazing. And I feel like I have so many questions. But so let's talk about what you just brought up sensory integration and how you would study it. If you noticed that there was a child who had a sensitivity to something like that, mm-hmm. how would you work on them differently? I mean, I'm- so first of all, I think the most important aspects of a patient's evaluation is 
is observations and touch, right? So when, when a child comes, I don't like right away, as you saw probably with your own child, I don't right away just put them back and start looking in their mouths. You know, I try to like engage with them, like see how the eyes are working, see how the, uh, how their speech, if they're speaking, how the speech is working. You know, it's like I do a lot of chit chat with the parents initially might not understand like that I'm actually, it's not a chit chat. Well, it's first like kind of gaining trust and establishing a little bit of a common ground, you know. Um, but more importantly, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the eyes. I'm looking at the breathing. I'm looking at the mouth. I'm looking at the functions of the, the muscles of the face. I'm looking at the neck. I'm looking at the hands. Is there bilateral? Is there an aspects of the midline that it's missing? I'm looking at the structure of the, of the cranium of, they're walking, they're just so many little and tiny things that when I put my, my, my pink and strawberry gloves, you know, is it, is it too much for them to smell? Is it, is it, um, do they receive the touch on their face in it? Is it, are they easily gagger, you know? So all of these little tiny things before I even put them down, they give me so much information, you know, and then once the, and I usually like not to look at the patient's information um, until I actually feel the patient myself, you know, um, and then like through the osteopathic feeling or just kind of palpating them, you get so much information about falls, asymmetries, um, even like, especially now um, that kids are on so much media like i put my kid my my hands on their cranium and it's like buzzing right (laughs) they're they're just so they're they're, it's too much like their brain it almost feels like just overworked one child specifically you know i put my hand and it's like i'm like so how many hours a, a day are you on media you know and including video games, you're Zooming, and mom's like, mom is answering, he's not answering, mom is answering, he's like, oh, about three, four hours, and I'm kind of thinking like, yeah, does this brain doesn't feel like three, four hours a day, you know, it feels a lot more, so I asked the mom, I was like, oh, do you mind going and getting a cup of water for yourself, this was a nine-year-old, so I said, hey, buddy, your your brain is buzzing. So <laughs> tell me the truth. How many hours are you on the on the on the media, including video games? And it's like, you got a pinky promise that you want to tell my mom? And we're like, well, I'm kind of obligated to tell your mom, but we'll say it in a way that you won't get in trouble. So he goes, okay, deal. <laughs> you know. And he said, I put my clock at 12 a.m. Once my parents are asleep and I wake up and I go on the video game and I play video game until 6 a.m. in the morning. And then right before they wake up, I go to bed. And this buddy was so tired, you know, and the parents had no idea, you know, because he had video games in his room and he had, you know, and he had figured it out when he can do it and parents do not know and you know before they wake up and after they go to sleep and so he was uh and he had his headphones and everything so it was all quiet um but 
uh, these are the information that I get through just feeling them, you know, and palpations and just some of the things that, that you kind of like, how tired is the body, how, how the adrenals are doing, perhaps, you know, it's like, what, what does the body feel like, you know, and, and then you go inside. And when you look at the mouse, you kind of start relating everything together in so many ways, the tonsils and how, how enlarged the tonsils out, what does it look like in terms of, and then you, then I go, I kind of move back once I see some of the symptoms, then I move back into finding the cause, you know, because that's what integrative medicine is like you don't say oh your child has this symptom you know it's like they are let's say they're mouth breathing or they have gut health issues you know then you look back into like why you know and the question of the why um which we kind of discover you know discuss with your with your beloved son is like we need to go beyond just the symptom because the symptom I mean, everybody can see the symptom or diagnose the symptom, but the why is where it's going to take him really, really long and and far. You know, I have a person, for example, that I work with in, um, you know, he does like something, some form of a neurofeedback, but he has kind of intelligently created this program where he it's kind of like a boot camp, you know, but it basically like... Uh, repeats all the turns that the baby was supposed to go through embryo and they didn't quite because I don't either the mom had to be on bed rest or there was restrictions in the uterus or there was something that like the baby doesn't quite turned in the right way so they were never able to do the tummy time they were never able they had too much regurgitation they were never able to crawl on all four or they were tippy toe walking or all of those like very subtle things that most pediatricians, they don't necessarily look at and they don't necessarily talk about, but then they make a profound neurological differences. So some of these things, like by incorporating it, it just completely changes the child and changes the trajectory of what they can do and how they grow in the future. As you may or may not know, we've been sharing the benefits of saffron with our community for a little while now. Growing up in a Persian family, I'd been aware of the benefits of saffron because of its prevalence in my mother's cooking. But as we began on the journey to create our own line of saffron-based products, I began to learn the powerful science behind the plant. Saffron has been used by many cultures for thousands of years, and now the research is backing it up, proving that just 30 milligrams of saffron per day is a natural source for enhanced emotional and physical well-being. At the fullest, we believe that incorporating ancient wisdom into our modern lives is one of the most powerful and accessible paths to healing. We also believe that everyone's journey is unique. So for our latest launch, we've created a line of saffron products in a variety of formats to help you curate saffron in your personal daily routine. Warm Feelings is our saffron latte powder and comes in individual sachets and in larger sustainable glass jars. Made with just certified high-grade saffron, organic coconut powder, and cardamom, it's the perfect coffee alternative and feel-good start to your day. If you prefer to pop a pill, Kinder Thoughts is our 30-day supply of saffron capsules and a super simple way to support your body and mood with the power of saffron. And if you're looking to strengthen your immune system, try our Mindful Immunity Syrup. 
This healing blend uses saffron to reduce inflammation, but also harnesses the power of ancient Middle Eastern barberries to fight infection, along with sea buckthorn and elderberries, all in a base of manuka honey to aid in antibacterial healing. It's a true immunity powerhouse. Honestly, at the moment, I'm using each of these products on a daily basis, depending on my needs. And to help you begin your own saffron journey, we're offering a discount of 15% off just for our podcast listeners with code THEFULLESTPODCAST at checkout. I hope you enjoy your new daily saffron ritual. That's so true. I mean, you think about how they say, I mean, I'm sure to an extent, you know, there are things that are normal, but it's like, if a child is regurgitating a lot, or if a child is even like something as simple as hiccups, I feel like, like, what do I remember my son would get so many hiccups to the point where I knew something wasn't like, it was way too often to be normal but food sensitivity. What is it? Food sensitivity. Wow. And and that was just me nursing him. But so then it's like, there's something that I'm eating as the mom that, you know, was, he was sensitive to. And, um, and yeah, I think it's just so important to notice those things, but, but you just kind of go online and, and they just say that's normal because our normal is cute. Even hiccups, you know, I don't know if you had hiccups during your pregnancy, but with both kids, I had, they had so many hiccups during the pregnancy and it was just kind of cute. You know, it was like, oh, adorable. You know, they're like, you know, your belly's jumping up and like, oh, that's a hiccup, you know? And, and I didn't pay attention with Hafez, but I paid attention with Hannah and it's exactly, and then we took the cord blood, which you should do when you, when you actually like give birth, yeah. take the cord blood and do a sensitivity testing with wow. it. Wow. So when you do that, it was exactly like, so I would, when she would have a hiccup, I would actually have a food diary of what I ate, you know? So like, okay, I ate this, 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 this for the past day or, you know, past day and a half or something like that. And it was and when we got her food sensitivity, exactly the foods that she's sensitive to, and she's still sensitive to them, you know, dairy, gluten, a yeah. couple of things, you know. So it's it's basically like the ones that I would eat, you know, once in a while or whatever it was, but and then she would just have it, she would have hiccups into them. So, but the, again, like just kind of remaining curious and remaining, and then finding out all of these things because by let's say you doing, you know, taking the cord blood and doing a food sensitivity testing out of it, it, it it's not going to do any harm to her. Mm-hmm. It's just give you, or, you know, is it a girl? Yeah, it's a girl. <laughs> so it's, it's just going to give you more information about what to eat and what not to eat, especially the first, you know, while you're breastfeeding. Yeah. So it can have like the microbiome of, of a healthier gut rather than an inflammatory gut. Yeah. And I think that's so important to note because for me, like I did such a, I was very interested in the Ayurvedic diet and I made sure to eat very specifically so that I don't have things that set him off. I didn't eat onions. I didn't eat garlic. I didn't eat dairy for a long time. But it doesn't mean, it's like, those are obviously the general ones, but it doesn't mean that there aren't these different things that they could be sensitive to. And, yeah. and to know that through the cord blood would make 
actually life easier, you know, because then it's not like all of a sudden you're just eliminating everything as a new mom or postpartum and when you really need stuff. So that's such good advice. But yeah, I think that, you know, all of these little things are so important. I just had a friend tell me she went to, a um, we go to see someone down here because you recommended when I saw you to go see someone, um, a chiropractor, she's a pediatric chiropractor that does like craniosacral therapy and stuff that's close to us. And she's amazing. And she picked up that my friend's son needs to be on the same homeopathic as her mother, because there was mm-hmm. something that she, her mother dealt with. And mm-hmm. now this person sees the mom and my friend and the son. And it's amazing to see how connected we all are and how the grandmother is still playing a role and healing what the grandmother was going through is also going to help heal the, the yeah. son. It's, it's, it's incredible. Like I have, I have this little boy that every, the, at least for the past three years, every, every year, like, you know, around, uh, I think past two years, every year around the, his, um, his dad's birthday, he gets a concussion on the right side of his face. Wow. And it, uh, and I told the mom, like, I, I think we really need to work on that and get like, because like the second time she came, I looked at my phone and I have more than 26,000 pictures on my phone. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of them like patient, patient, kids, my own kids, you know, yeah. all these things and, um, and all the, you know, different things that I do. But, um, but I looked at it and I was like, oh, last year was the same exact time that he had the concussion. And it was on the same side of the face. And she's like, no, I don't think so. I think it was on the other side. I said, no, I have his picture on my phone and it's on the same side of the face. So I pulled it off, you know, and he looks, she's like, oh my God. And it's like, so let's look at it as a curiosity. Yeah. It's for sure, but let's look at it, you know? And she's like, oh, that's my husband's birthday, you know? So, and this is the masculine side. The, the right side is the masculine. The left side is the feminine. Wow. Let's look at and we kind of like together dug a little bit deeper and a little bit more. And, you know, so it, it's, it's quite interesting when you, when you start looking at some of these relationships, you know, and I don't believe in, you know, my, that might, that maybe because of my spiritual background, I don't believe in coincidence. You know, that I just believe like there's a, there's a divine plan everywhere. So you can call it coincidence, but I, you know, I call it synchronicities or messages, you know, all of those things that at least it gives a deeper meaning than just coincidence. So, um, and it's a curiosity. It doesn't have to be like, yes, this is what's happening, but like, oh, let's look at it and see if there's any aspects of it. And when we do that, just like your friend and the homeopathics between the grandma and the, and the grandchild, there is a lot of openings that might come forward that otherwise it wouldn't, yeah. you know? And, uh, and when you do that, there's like one more healing modality that you're offering. And then there's a deeper connections that it's just actually heals the intergenerational, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of things. And I think it's very powerful. I think so too. I just made me think about too. And, um, I mean, it, this made me think about it, but who knows if it's related. But anyways, I 
it, I find it interesting because I, my son, when he was born, had cradle cap. Mm-hmm. Not a really bad case, but it was something that definitely bothered me, right? And and it's something that I've found has stuck around with him because my my pediatrician told me like some people say that it's connected to like yeast and fungal um, work that you need to do, and I was mm-hmm. wondering because now with his condition, like we need to make sure that he has enough, um, his blood sugar is stable. And so sometimes in the, especially at night when he's sick and lately he's in preschool. So, you know, he gets sick here and there pretty often. Um, actually what's really interesting is every time a new kid joins the class, my son gets sick Uh all kind of learning and, you know, incorporating each other's like different microbiomes and Stuff. But anyways, he like recently started getting like thrush on his tongue and I was mm-hmm. thinking about how it goes back to the cradle cup stuff. And there's definitely some sort of fungal something and it's hard with his condition to manage because the sugar aspect, like mm-hmm. I need to make sure he has enough carbs. And I know that with, um, you know, with something like a fungus, you really want to like starve that. As much as you don't want to starve the carb, you want to starve the sugar. sugar. Yeah, there's a big difference. And then also, what you do is you mix the the carb with a medium chain fatty acid. And when you do that, you know, which is like like coconut butter or almond butter. And when you do, especially you know, like a pure one, not the ones that they yeah, add the cane, not the MCC oil. Yeah, yeah, yes. But um, when you when you do that, then the processing of it completely changes because it gets into the cells, it gets into the brain cells specifically, you know, and then it creates a different pathway than a simple carbohydrates and a and a sugar that just goes straight into the brain. And I mean, it's not into the brain, into the uh, bloodstream and creates like this high rise and then like a really, really quick down, you know, um, falling down. So a little bit, yeah, but, but it's, but it's also the complementary aspects of the food, right? So it's not that, you know, you and I, we don't have any fungus in our system. We do, but they have harmonized with the other bacterias and the other viruses and the other you know, aspects of the, our microbiome and they created a system where they harmoniously live, you know, uh, much like, for example, that every day there's like several, you know, several cancer cells that it's, they come in, they're created and then our body recognizes them and just kind of gets rid of them. Yeah. So looking at some of those things, you know, for example, I, for the same token, I, um, I learned in one of the, um, so I used to do a lot of humanitarian trips. And uh, when I would go in the middle of like nowhere, Honduras, you know, Nicaragua, um, uh, Guatemala, like there, there are all these medicine men and medicine women that they are, they have so much experience with some of these things. And they actually treat, you know, some of them with a lot of education. Some of them is just kind of past generationally of things that they have worked and they use a lot of herbs. But one of them, I remember he taught me that look at the, like put your finger in the person's ears and see how much wax buildup they have. 
And that wax buildup could be the fact that he has the, the patient has yeast in their in their system, overgrown of the yeast, you know. Totally. So I kind of put like my fingers on yeah. you know patients and I check, you know, and then I write down it's like, oh, wax buildup in the ears. And the parents are looking at me like, why is this dentist orthodontist looking at the wax in the ears? You know, I I'm just looking for the disharmony. I'm not looking for anything wrong. I'm not looking for, I'm looking for a bigger picture yeah. of where there is this harmony in the body that I can, that I can look at and I bring more harmony into whole, this whole person on all levels. And then, so then the body knows its way to healing by itself, yeah. right? And create more balance, more harmony in the body we are equipped to be healthy. Like that's why we are like billions of years and we're still around, even though we don't necessarily take the best care of ourselves. (laughs) So so many things wrong. So that's why we're still around. And it's, and it, um, because there's the resiliency in the body, but then we just got to keep going toward the harmony and harmonic aspects of things. Dr. Sammy, literally, my son will not stop complaining about his ears and he does not have an ear infection, but we've been trying to figure out what it is. And we like are assuming there's wax buildup. And so everything you say just is like, makes so much sense. But for children, it's really hard to remove. Like that's the other thing. Like, how do you even do that? Like, I'm always curious, like, does a doctor do that? Because for us, like we are putting in, when I can, like mullein oil or garlic oil in there. But I'm like, is this actually going to get the wax out? Not really. But yeah. um, I would suggest because unless you really know that the ear's anatomy, it's best if you ask like a nurse or a doctor, you know. Uh, I once in a while, like kind of do that as anti-Dr. Sherry, you know, yeah. it's like just as a service you know, to some of the parents, because there, there's like, there's like specific instruments that you can actually do that and you can clean up the things. But, but again, you're going back to the source. Is there a difference in what you see in terms of your pediatric patients and when their teeth come in or the quality of their teeth, depending on what the mother is eating? I'm super curious about that. So if, you know, not necessarily looking at like, oh, you have to eat this, you have to eat that, but like something like Korean culture where, you know, their moms come to their house and for so many days, all they have is this like seaweed soup, you know, for, I don't know, for two weeks or 40 days or whatever they have. But I do see all of the benefits of of the cultural aspects or the Indians, you know, they they do this, um, you know, many of them, even they are vegetarians, like they do a lot of like high fat stuff, yeah. like ghee and, and, you know, lentils and all of those things that it's very, very mindful, you know, and those people, they have absolutely no medical knowledge, but I feel that there is a wisdom that has been collected throughout generations that uh that it's that we're just bypassing right now you know we're kind of like coming up with our own versions of things and and soy and all of those things that we are substituting 
but we don't know what is what is the long-term thing versus we know that hey like you know indian culture for example they thrived on a vegetarian diet not a vegan diet but a vegetarian diet but they did also use a variety of ayurvedic medicine in order to stay balanced so it wasn't the mac and cheese diet that saved them (laughs) it wasn't like you know i mean most of the kids that they 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 consider themselves vegan all they eat is dairy and you know and bad dairy and and gluten and that's it you know basically carbohydrates and you know there's vegetables so like and then the knowledge about all those little things you know how the variety of the rainbows in the in the vegetables and then like you know how to use the legumes and especially with our current agricultural practices and the way that we're not so mindful about minerals and we're depleting our soil i feel it becomes so much more important to to be mindful about what we're putting in so um and then those things they affect they affect the connective tissues they affect the way that the bone and jaw grows that they affect the way that your the rest of your cranium and what i intention what i intend for every single patient is that i set them up not just for now but i set them up for a healthier life in the future wow. because it's not you know it's not just the childhood and then the whole statistic of 2018 i think they were talking about 50 percent two out uh, you know one out of two child has chronic disease issues and they were expecting that by 2024 um or 2025 80 percent of our children have chronic disease issues to me just heartbreaking yeah just just and and i want to see like how can me as an individual be a part of that that statistic would not happen you know what can i do in my little tiny ways you know that 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 statistic changes and we don't have so many kids with the chronic issues you know because we used to have all these mid-30s with the chronic issues now it's kind of getting younger and younger and and it's i think it's it's really really heartbreaking for me to to see that so that's that's why i want to kind of like set them up for a different future yeah taking care of like all these little you know it's like how's the gut how's the nervous system how's the stress how's the eating function food you know all of that stuff receiving anxiety like there's just all these little parts then collaborations with so many people then then you can perhaps we want we would never have to have that that statistic for 2025 yeah no it makes sense because i think when you get them early on then what you're working on is prevention versus then you know dealing with okay i had a root canal i had this i had this and then those things are affecting now affecting my body whereas what you're saying is okay what's showing up in your body, let's heal it before it turns into something in your mouth. And your mouth is going to tell me what's going on in your body as well. But hopefully it's not something that we, you know, happened and then we come in later and say. Yeah. And learning those early signs, yeah. right? Such as the hiccup. It's like learning those early signs, like what, what are some of the things that, you know, um, they, I, I, 
had been talking about this for a long time, that what you eat and what you do and all of this stuff, it, it does have an effect on your child, even pre, um, you know, pre-pregnancy. And I listened to a lecture and I just, I love the fact that all of these things are slowly making themselves to substantial universities, you know, yeah. such as, as UCLA. But in the same lecture that that guy was talking about the xylitol, he also brought forward, you know, that they did a study and I'm st- I, I still haven't looked for the study. I have to look for it, but they did a study where they found out um, uh, um, the, the antibiotic that mom took nine years preconception was they found the strand in the child's body, right, of that antibiotic. Wow. Does this mean there's anything wrong with the child? Yeah. It just means there is an aspect that, that it actually, you know, just understanding the consequence of some of the things that we do. And we have to do that for acute situation. We have to do that for, like, necessary steps. However... The mindfulness is the key, right? You know, not just like everything, like kind of my mom, she would like get anything. As soon as she was, she has, she would wake up and there was anything hurting. She would go and take antibiotics. Yeah. Like my mom, maybe it's an infection or she just like took those Tylenols and, and, uh, Motrin's like they were candies, you know, and she believed in C-sections, elective C-sections and no breastfeeding, you know. So all of those things, it's not, it, it has created some compromise in my body that I'm working years and years in order to release that and in order to counteract that. Yeah. Okay. And I don't blame her necessarily, you know, that there was, she didn't know any other ways and she didn't know any better. So it's not, and, and it became, and I hold it as like this sacred journey for me that all of those things, it actually brought me to a more space of compassion, more space of, you know, curiosity, more space of, uh, you know, this, this, this persistent of wanting to learn deeper and know more and, and then be of service to so many people, you know, within my practice or globally. So. Um, so I don't, I don't hold it as a bad thing, but I hold it as it's like, she didn't know any better. And then this is how it has served me as well. I think also like that generation, it's like, they come from a place of fear when they do that too, because it's like, oh my gosh, you know, so many people died and this happened to people. And I remember my dad saying, cause I was saying to him, isn't it cool that you guys in Iran had, um, you know, your milk delivered to you and it was raw. And also if he's like, Oh, my mom made us pasteurize it because she was so scared. And I was thinking, wow, because she came from a place of fear. This is how people get sick. And um, I mean, I don't know what it was like back then for them and all that, but now we're in a place of really understanding the benefits of the raw milk. And, and we drive all the way to Santa Monica together. And so it's funny because I think now it's just coming back into that wisdom that you talked about, like that ancestral wisdom that we have and that we knew and, and that Rudolf Steiner totally tapped into. And I think it's so amazing that you're taking his work and incorporating your own and how wonderful to then have, I mean, have the opportunity to talk to these parents who are like, 
oh, is my child, you know, is my child ready for, because more and more people are homeschooling and can do things on their own timeline. I mean, I know that you're really helping a lot of parents with homeschooling too. And, and you guys have an amazing farm or I don't know what to call it. Something that you've created. Animals and how incredible to share that with your children and and then also for us to be able to see it, whether it's on social media or, you know, whatever, I think it's just a way back to nature. And I, and I was thinking about this the other day because someone was saying, like, this is the time where the more, like, as many of us that can get back to nature's natural rhythm and sleeping when it's dark and waking up when it's light and, and all of those things, then we're all naturally going to be able to feel like what you feel when you touch that child's head and you know that he's vibrating and something's off because that's not how we're meant to naturally feel. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and incorporating some of those, those practices, right. It's, um, for example, our son Hafez is, um, he's in charge of the farm, you know, right now. And how old is he? He's 13 and a half. So he is, he doesn't have a phone, you know, and because again, Rudolf Steiner's like 14 years old, they're just the frontal lobe starts to develop. So you can't give a phone to your child and expect them to make great decisions because there's no frontal lobe yet, you know, to make those logical decisions, you know, and so it becomes based on all these rules and regulations, which, you know, depending on what age and the temperaments of the child, it might become more of a struggle rather than than a bonding relationship. So he, he knows. And so he doesn't have a phone and we don't have video games in the house, you know, so he's he's doing a lot of farm works. But um, one of the things that I you know, and then also we are homeschooling, you know, both kids with the, like a little farm school that we actually have in our, in our property. But uh, one of the things that I see is like all these anxiety, at least that I see in so many patients now, because like, and then the kids constantly complaining. It's like, I hate Zoom, you know, Zooming and I hate being muted. I hate, you know, all of these things. Like, I see that because my kids are so much in nature and at least with animals and a few kids, you know, that were kind of like, you know, minding the health and minding the safety and all of those things. But at the same time, they're able to connect and collaborate with, you know, with, with mother nature, you know, growing our own food, learning how to, milk the goats i mean the both of them they're amazing at milking the goats in the the office can do like 18 goats in like an hour (laughs) so it's so cute to see how you know and then like this level of confidence that has come up you know responsibility he gave you know we've started to pay him for his work and rudolf steiner talks about all of that stuff he talks about the 12 year changes and how that part of like wanting to be accepted and wanting to, and then all these rise and fall of the hormones and emotions and feelings, and then getting them engaged in things that they are nature related, you know, whether like, you know, 
cutting woods or, you know, taking care of animals or gardening or, and that's why most of the Waldorfs, they have like biodynamic farms and things like that. It actually allows them to understand that the, the rise and fall of the feelings and the thoughts are temporary. And you can, you can, through the, the connections with nature and through, you know, hard work, you can actually kind of ride through all of those, you know, different emotions that they pop up and then you can ground yourself. And it's, and it's wonderful to see the changes in him as a young man in comparison to the rest of the teenagers that I see, you know, where they're like constant, they don't even lift up their head from their phone. They don't make any relationship, no eye contact. They're not very confident. They have a hard time speaking with an adult, you know? So it's um, just all these like subtle and yet profound understanding about the brain development and, and the understanding of the connections with nature, you know, like the kids, for example, that, you know, Hannah's age, like seven, eight years old, we've had a lot of baby goats and these, they come, they can't wait to go to school. So the baby goats, you know, and the baby goats, they climb all over them in the middle of their, you know, they have an outdoor setting, you know, they climb all over them while they're learning. It's, it's, uh, it, but it's but it's so much more than that. it's like where their food is coming from how you know they have witnessed so many babies coming some some uh you know goats dying and not making it they have buried you know some animals so like the whole cycle of life and death connections and and you know how interdependent we are to each other and um, and how we are part of nature, you know, um, I think there was a, there was a talk that Zach Bush gave a few weeks ago in like on a zoom call. And, um, I loved, loved, I still get chills from it because he started with definition of na- nature in Oxford dictionary, which included animals, plants, environment, you know, soil as opposed to humans and human creation. So he questions like, when did we start putting ourselves in opposition with nature? Not part of it, but in opposition of nature. And when we feel included in this whole majesty and called life, um, you know, then I think there's so much wisdom that comes through that, that it's missed when we just look at things like, Oh, one virus, one bacteria, one this, you know, one that, and then just, you know, staying in our, in our busy lives, running, 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 and not necessarily ever going outside and walking bare feet on a, on grass, you know, or sand or whatever it is, because we've been too busy, um, in any ways connecting, you know, in any ways, like looking at, I don't know, like we have these 350 years old oak trees in our outside of our house and we look at it it's like oh my god what stories you have to tell me yeah nights I just sit underneath it and I well kind of like underneath it not quite but but I see in front sit in front of it and I just meditate like what stories what how many how many fires have you seen how many challenges you have gone through how many things and you're still surviving in this beautiful magnificent ways and 
what metaphors I can use out of that in order when I'm going through my own challenges in life and not only surviving them, but thriving because of them, you know, and and so much lessons that I can gain in this majestic, you know, uh, being, which is, it's, it's really has so many stories to teach us, right? Yeah. It's so beautiful. I love what you've created and I love your perspective and, and it's so incredible that people can come to you and, and you can still meet with them in person, whether it's at your office, I'm sure you're doing zoom and, and really guide parents through this time because it's, it's not easy. And, and knowing that you're there to support is, is really, it makes me feel good and at peace. And, and I wanted to share that with our listeners. So I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank for you. Having me. And it was a wonderful conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for um, doing all the stuff that you do to bring a little bit more light and loving to this world and, uh, and just shining your own light in all aspects of things, you know, with my beloved, with all these amazing people that they are, um, that you're also interviewing through your podcast. So I send you and your listeners so much light and loving, especially during these challenging life times, you know, cause we, we all need to shine our lights in order to get to the other side.